Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can hear you speak to us. Lord, you speak in many ways in dreams and visions and impressions upon our heart. Lord, simply through your word, your Holy Spirit brings that illumination. And and that's what we want today is really to hear from you. So, Lord, remove any distractions in our lives. Bind the enemy's hands that we might hear from you and we might obey you. And all God's people said, Amen. We're in Timothy, 1 Timothy, chapter 1. We're going to finish chapter 1 today. And um, Timothy is, if you remember, this young man. and, And he was really young. In fact, some of the young ones have gone into the kitchen area until we get another class prepared for them. And I'm going to tell you, Timothy was very young, as young as you. And yet he was entrusted with the church of Ephesus. Age is not a requirement necessarily to be in ministry because all of us are called to be ministers. What's important as we're going to see in our text today is calling. Has God called you? First of all, he's called you out of this world and he's called you to himself. Now we know this letter letter is a, a letter to a pastor, Timothy. We know that these principles in its primary sense apply to pastors. But let's extend it to elders that we're going to see in chapter 3 and to leaders the church and every one of us should be a leader. You know what an elder is? It's just simply someone who is mature, but someone, again, we're going to see their quality, character qualities are important. That's one of the things we learn about this book is because it's it's concerned with character. See, right doctrine, right teaching produces godly character. That's what we need. That's something that is lacking within the body of Christ when you see pastors that are up on pedestals and all of a sudden you, you find that their lives have gone sideways. People are following after these pastors and then when that happens, they're following after a man, their faith is devastated. Some of these are likened to false prophets. Some are false teachers. I'm not naming anyone here, but I'm going to show you at the end of our text today, there is a time to name people. Now, that's something that's not none of us want to do. We don't want to confront. We don't want to point fingers in that general sense. But it is important in certain circumstances. It's important to point out If there was a tsunami coming, you would go to your friends and tell them, you warn them, and that's what you do when someone is really a false teacher in your community, in your own church, is they have to be illuminated to warn the people that they're not taken out. Love will cause you to be steadfast in your faith, to speak the truth in love. It's not loving to turn your back and ignore false teachers, false prophets. So it's important that we know. But with that said, let's open in prayer. Father, again, I ask that you would bless your word to our hearts, that it would not be my words, but your words. In Jesus' name, amen. I struggle with the uh, title of this. I'm not good on titles. Sometimes I pull them out of, you might notice, out of your Bible. They'll have a heading for a section, and we all have different graces. But there's two things that I really see. One of them is fighting the good fight. That comes right from the text. That's where a title should come from, because that's what it's about, fighting the good fight. But as much as it is fighting the good fight, Timothy had a responsibility, and you have a responsibility. And I have a responsibility, first to God, to our family, to the body of Christ. Well, let's read our text together. Verse 18, 
That's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might fight the good fight, keeping the faith and good conscience, which some have rejected, suffered, and shipwrecked in regard to their faith. Among these, two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I'm handed over to Satan, so that they be taught not to blaspheme. Clear? To the point. Timothy has been instructed, he's called by God that we're going to see, He's placed in this place. It's important to understand. He's given this responsibility. He's to watch over the flock of God. That is a pastor's first job, is to watch over the flock of God. Protect them from every wind of doctrine, every false teacher, everything that is blowing through what's called the body of Christ. Notice again that this Christian life simply is not a piece of cake. You just don't become a Christian and everything's fine and you have no concerns, no worries. No, there is leaven we talk about. Leaven is a picture of sin. There's a leaven in the church. There's false teaching, false doctrine, false, again, prophets and teachers within the body of Christ. And some of them are very big with congregations, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. People don't know how to discern what is of God because they do not read the Word of God. This is why I make such an emphasis upon the Word of God. You need to be a man and woman of the Word of God. Some people, though, if they're not in the Word, even though they're a believer, they're young, and God has given them the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and He says there's something wrong with that picture, but they don't listen. You know how your kids have been probably when they're growing up. They say, no, I'm going to go and do what I want. My daughter would say something. We'd say something, and she'd say something, and she'd go and do it. Oh, you never said that. And I'd pull out a book. In that book, here was all the things that we said, signed by her. Oh, I guess I did. (laughs) You know how kids are. My daughter's no different than any other. And yet, because we held the line, we were steadfast. She is a godly woman and has a godly husband. And when that time comes, she will have godly kids. It's our responsibility as parents, as neighbors, as friends. We cannot bury our head in the sand. Let me ask you a question. I don't want to know, but when's the last time you prayed for the government? for the politicians. We're not to be complaining about them. We're to be submitting to them, but we need to be praying for them. These are all things that are we find in the Bible. We're in the place we're at because we have not been the people of God. I love Daniel when he's praying and he he's, knows and recognizes they're in Babylon at that time that they're about to be released. And he lifts his hands to the heaven and he says, Father, forgive us. He was not responsible for them being in Babylon other than he was a sinful man like the rest of us. But he recognized. So what I'm saying at that point is we too need to say, Father, forgive us because we're a body of Christ. And if the body is off, we need to be praying, Father, forgive us. There are many that do not understand, and we now need to stand up for righteousness' sake. What is right with Jesus Christ? So again, the Christian life, it's not a piece of cake. I can't just get saved and go and do what I want to do. Now, we're not working for salvation, but because we are saved and we realize what Jesus has done, we need to go, go into the world, go and make disciples. But that means you and I need to be disciples first before we can make a disciple and if you do not feel that you have been discipled in the word you need to get a hold of me and i'll sit down with you your family a group and we'll make sure that you understand the word of god that you know how to share that gospel you know how to approach people you know how to answer questions not only that 
The Christian life is in the middle of a battlefield. It's on and on and on. You ever feel that way? Yeah, sometimes it's, it's tiring. When's it going to ever end? Well, again, each of us will struggle in this life with Satan, the sin, and the biggest one is self. Our own selfish desires. Every one of us have selfish desires, if we're honest with ourselves. And that's what we need to be. So it can, can be real serious struggle. For the Christian to, to walk in the Spirit, and I, I've known many say, yeah, I'm in the Spirit, but yet... When you look at their life, it's falling apart and they're still walking in the flesh. And that's what we're going to see here. This is the people that, again, Timothy is left to minister to. There's false teachers and false prophets. They're teaching things, you know, that are, you know, causing them to just want to listen. It sounds good. It makes me feel good. Paul again, concludes this chapter with just really the charge. Timothy, fight the good fight. Timothy, you're to be here. I'm I'm given this command, and I'm entrusting you with it. Now fight the good fight. Stand for righteousness. Be steadfast in, in your faith. Confront these teachers. Confront them with the truth, but in love. And this is what he's going to instruct him. Timothy is to to wage his war. And it is a war when you go against the enemy. The enemy is looking for someone that he might devour. If you just choose to be a carnal Christian and and, and not really be a part of that fight, Satan will never bother you. But the question really is this. Are you really a Christian? Are you really going to heaven? What are you really trusting in? Because if Jesus Christ has come into your life, you've been born again, you have a desire to stand for righteousness. You have a desire to tell others, to minister to others. That's the desire he puts in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Now, either you're a believer or that has been quenched. And you can quench the Spirit of God. Paul, what he's doing is he's passing on the baton. He knows the time is is coming. You know, eventually for me, there'll be a time if the Lord tarries that I'm going to have to pass the baton on to someone else. And it'd be just like Paul passing on to Timothy or or, or thinking that Paul's doing this. it's, It's much like Moses passing on to Joshua. Passing on the responsibility. Elijah passing the baton on to Elisha. We have that responsibility. As parents, even grandparents, is pass the baton on to our kids, to our neighbors, to our friends. This is so important. We need to prepare our kids, our neighbors, for the world. To hear the truth. They may not want to hear from you, but you Look for an opportunity, and you speak that truth in love. Look again at verse 18. It says, this command, I entrust you, Timothy, my son. And I love that because here, again, he is his son. That is a spiritual son. It was through his missionary work that Timothy had come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it was interesting because all the people around him, the congregations, the leaders, they all recognized there's something special about him. What was it special about him? The hand of God was upon him. The hand of God was going to use him. And we're going to see that they acknowledge this in a very special way. So Paul, he refers here to what's called this apostolic confirmation. Now, some people take the view that, you know, uh, Paul passed it on to Timothy and Timothy and, and on down the generation to me and every pastor. I don't think so. Because they're apostolic confirmation. It was a special ability at that period of time. 
to establish the church as far as what the word of God would be, writing of the books, and those leaders would come down. Then that responsibility becomes to those men to pass a baton on. Now, they would recognize, and this is important to understand, it was first the apostolic confirmation, and it was confirmed in many ways. One, it was confirmed in the elders. The elders recognized that. We're going to see this in just a second. And the leaders. In fact, when we start talking about elders, we don't vote for elders here. If you want a congregation to rule, go someplace else, because that's not what the Bible teaches The Bible teaches that we recognize what God's doing in a person's life and then we confirm that. And he confirms it also with prophecy. And that's what's happening here in this text here. Let me show you in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but power, love, and discipline. Now, by the way, on these cross-references, they're up on the screen, remember. You can see them. You can read them. Notice again, kindle afresh the gift of God. Now, this is unique, and I want you to understand that, because this is what's called the apostolic confirmation. And only at this time, and I may be wrong, I don't believe so, But I believe that when he laid his hands on, there was a gift given at that time. The apostles had that ability. These were what was called the signs of a true apostle. So he's reminding them, kindle afresh the gift. What was the gift? Was it it teaching? Was it helps? Was it encouragement? I believe probably all of those gifts and many more. In the Bible, there's 21 gifts listed in the Bible. Some say 19, some say 21. And I say, well, I've seen 21, but there may be 50, 60. He's just giving us this basic principle. Gifts are given from God. It's something that you have. It's not something that you learn. You may learn how to use it properly. You may abusively use it, but it's a gift. You have that gift of encouragement, that gift of exhortation, that that word of knowledge, word of wisdom. So, again, speaking to Timothy, kindle fresh that gift of God. It's a gift of God, not of men. Men can't give it. We're just the vessels. And they were illuminating Timothy, this is your calling. Your calling is always God's enabling. When God has called you, To be a Christian, he will enable you to be a Christian. He's called you to walk in righteousness. He will enable you. You just need to surrender to him. Now look again, verse 7 there of that cross-reference, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity. You know, I get the feeling that that Timothy says, I don't know, I don't want to do this. And sometimes that's very common in a calling that that we want to back off from that calling and he's trying to encourage him. Well, let me tell you about my own life. There's many times I've wanted to quit being a pastor because I haven't saw what I thought I should see. It's not a matter of what I see. It's a matter of a calling. If God has called you, you just need to be faithful where he puts you. Not bounce here, not bounce there, and that's what people tend to do. Stay put. Be faithful. Allow God to work in you. Now he says again in verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but power, love, and discipline. Three things. And, And we're talking about building up, again, of Timothy. This is very important. He's giving you the power. He's enabling you. The power we're going to see in a second is the Holy Spirit. And love, he's poured his love into your hearts. Please don't ever tell me you're not a loving person. And if you do, I'm going to tell you, you choose not to love because God's poured his love in your heart and you have quenched it. You have quenched it. You just need to sit before the Lord and let him lavish you with his love and let that love lavish others. But there's something else in their discipline. 
discipline. Discipline means that, that firmness and being steadfast and moving forward and trusting. So Timothy was fearful. Timothy, you don't need to be fearful. You're not appointing this, this spirit of timidity, of fear, worry. No, no. God is giving you his power, his spirit, and he's giving you his love, and he's giving you the discipline to do what you need to do. Now, we're not talking about discipline him when he's bad, but to be steadfast and be in his work. You just need to rely upon him. Look at Second Timothy with me on the screen, verse 2 and 3. The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others and suffer the hardship with me as a good soldier in Christ. So, Timothy, as you see men being raised up in the fellowship, men that have this passion, have this love for God and for others, Timothy, and they're faithful in the word, you need to entrust them. That's what a pastor's called to do. That's what elders are called to do. One of the things is to look for men that are being raised up in the power of God, the power of the Spirit. Why? Now, it's interesting. I'm using a, a cross-reference that may not make sense, but Jude, when he's writing that little book, powerful little book, one chapter, he writes in Jude chapter 1, look on the screen, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about the common salvation, he was excited about salvation, I felt it necessary to write to you, appealing to you to contend earnestly for the faith once and for all given to the saints. He wanted just to share the excitement. But there's others teaching other doctrines, drawing people away. And he had to write this letter of exhortation that we need to earnestly contend for the faith once and for all given to the saints. Because people, I mentioned last week, that, that take other books and put it over the very word of God. God has given you his word Everything you need for life and godliness. You don't need a new word. You don't need a new prophecy. Why well, I believe in prophecy if it contradicts the very word of God. See, the Christian life, it's not a, a, a playground where they're bouncing here, running over there. It is a battleground that's going on. And that means you need to be in the word. You need to be in prayer. It needs to be ongoing. Timothy, you need to stand firm in your faith. You, you need to fight correctively, and you must be correct. There's a way to fight, and you must be correct in it. You're not to be a destroyer, Timothy. You're simply to present the Word of God as truth in a loving way. And when you see someone who is drawing people away, you need to stand up boldly and not worry what others are going to respond? You just simply bring the truth. Because you know what? The Holy Spirit will do the work. The people will either choose to believe or they'll choose to reject it. The choice is theirs. The responsibility to us is to bring the very word of God. But how do we do it? Zechariah, very good. Notice what it says, Zechariah 4. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord of Zerubbabel, saying, not by might or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You know, it's, it's God himself. It's the spirit of God that works. If I would do an altar call and, and I would tell the worshiper, just one more course, one more course, one more course, we could get more people. Who's that trusting in? Us. It's the Holy Spirit we trust in. It's him that we need to be content with what he is going to do and when he's going to do it. First, he has to build the foundation in our lives. We need to have those open windows, those broken down walls reshored. The book of Nehemiah is about rebuilding the walls. Then God can use a person. How's it done? Well, it's the Spirit of God, not by power, or might, not by us. When a message goes forth, no matter who it is, it is the Spirit of God that will take that message and open up that heart. It's the Spirit of God that will go and convict that person and they will have a choice to respond or not respond. Now notice, 
though in verse 18, Paul is not leaving Timothy any options. What do you mean? He's giving Timothy a command. <laughs> Timothy, this is your work. It's a divine work. It's given, he's saying. It's a divine authority. This has come in, and you're entrusted with it. And that's what God does, is he trusts me, he entrusts you with his very word, with the opportunities he gives in our life. Now, the, the, the word for command, it's, it's a, a military order. It, it means it comes up from a higher source. See, God has commanded. God has prepared good works before the foundation of the world for Timothy, and one of them is to be the pastor in this church. And Timothy probably, as it sounds like, wants to run. Have you ever been in a situation you just want to run? This is too hard. I'm out of here. Exit stage left. I've been there. But there are no options. We're to stand firm in the truth. Stand firm in what God has shown us in his word, even when things don't make sense. The only response it's expected for Timothy to be obedient. And that's true for you and me. When God's spoken and he's shown you something in the word, there's no options. Well, I mean, you may choose not to, but the only thing he expects from you is obedience. You know that obedience is the highest form of worship? It's not taking a bullet list and saying, I'm going to do these 20 things today. No, not, that's not what I'm talking about. But when God shows you something, just go minister. Go trust him. But, but I, don't, I don't have the strength. He'll give you the strength. Just go. Paul was entrusting Timothy to fulfill the divine obligation. See, that's what ministry is all about. Is, is really working oneself out of ministry. That means someday someone else that the Lord tarries will be in this pulpit. And they will teach the Word of God. And I pray that they will go further than I've ever gone. It's not about my kingdom. It's about His kingdom, His glory. That's being faithful. Whether you're a Sunday school teacher or you're an elder, is to raise up people. That's what making a disciple is. Go and make a disciple. Raise them up so they can do the work of the ministry. It's not necessarily just putting warm bodies serving but first equipping them with the Word of God, with the heart of God. Helping them to know what it means to be a Christian, a disciple. Note Timothy's calling. Timothy had a special call in ministry. He was called to, to be a pastor, called to lead people how? In holiness, in righteousness, in truth. I go to different Christian stations from time to time and I hear all kinds of messages, but I don't always hear that call to stand in righteousness and holiness and truth. What God wants out of you is godly character being conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. It's not how much work you do for Him, it's being obedient to Him. Surrendering to Him. Sometimes God puts you in a ministry <laughs> to build that character in you. Certainly, I'm not the same person because I'm in ministry. God has changed me through the ministry, through the good and through the bad. Because you learn about your own weaknesses. What a wonderful way to begin a ministry, though, when you stop and think about it. You know, because he began his ministry with the hopes and prayers and predictions, prophecy, let's call them. Man, he was encouraged. <laughs> he needed that encouragement because of what he would be confronting. See, the Holy Spirit actually moved through many different believers. He illuminated them, again, as I mentioned. Watch what he's doing. And you know, that may start in a, in a congregation uh, just like this. And, and for example, uh, bear with me here, and don't get embarrassed here. Someone came up to me in the ministry, and they just kind of rubbed my shoulders. You know what, I rub shoulders once in a while? That's where it came from. He came up and rubbed my shoulders, and he says, Hey, why don't you come back in the children's class with me? 
Why don't you hang out with the four and five-year-olds? He was seeing something God was doing that I didn't even recognize in my own life. And before I knew it, it was my son and myself with the four and five-year-olds on Sunday evenings. And again, the encouragement. I became something else in another ministry. That's what we're called to do. To watch what God is doing. Not what God's not doing. Not looking for negative, but, but look and say, you know, I love, Mike, what God is doing in your life. That's what God would have us do. It's the building up of the body together. That's what the body of Christ lacks. It's not about hype. It's, it's not just about praise, but it ha- if it is praise, it has to be sincere praise of what God is doing. Being a part of something bigger. See, according to 1 Timothy 4.14, prophecy was previously designated and and spoke about him, the spiritual gift and his calling. And again, the body recognized it, but then the spirit, after the people saw, then what happened is when the prophecy came, they said, you know, that's what was confirmed in my heart. It's not just someone giving a word. I've been around where many people spoke prophecy and it's just never come true. It's, it's all showmanship. Well, there's two significant points I want to call your attention to here. First, the person must be called to the ministry by the Spirit of God. Now, I'm talking about a pastor. I'm talking about an elder. It's calling. It's never meant to be a profession. Yes, there, there's, there's money, but it, a person shouldn't say, well, I'm going to go up. This is what I want to be. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a, a minister. No, it's a calling. And most men that I know that are in the ministry didn't want to be in ministry. They weren't looking to be in ministry. And God took them out of one place and put them in ministry. They were fearful, just like Timothy. I described when I came to Hawaii not knowing what's going. If I knew I was going to be a pastor, I would have been Jonah and run. I think that's the first qualification. Knowing that you're not qualified. That's good. Because if, you're not, if you know you're not qualified, you need God. What a place to be. Needing and depending upon God. So it's not a profession. It's a call. It's a call of God. And God prepares each person for each place. But again, that's the problem sometimes because there are men in a position that are really not called there. And that's important to know. Called. Called to fight the battle, the war, for the souls, for the mind. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, by the way, a a pastor is an elder, but it, it says in chapter 3, when we get there, it's a good work if you desire to be an elder. Because at that time, there was persecution. And man, if you desired to be an elder, you're willing to lay down your life for the flock. You'd fight for him. When I've sat down with people, and people are having a difficult time, a husband and a wife, and I ask a question, are you willing to do whatever the Bible says? I can guarantee you have a good marriage, but if you're willing to do what the Bible says, they say, no, it's the end. I have nothing to offer them because all I have is the Word of God. But if they are, I will fight for their marriage. What do you mean fight for their marriage? Battle and prayer. Because the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. See, it's a battlefield, not just in your own life, but for those around you. For the worship team. For the greeters, the people behind the scenes that you don't even see. When a person's called by the Spirit of God, he must not reject the call. Like Jonah, if you remember. It's important that you step to the plate. You trust those prophecies. You know in your heart. I think everyone knew in their heart, but they want to Run. Again, Timothy, my son, 
Timothy's faith was in Christ and it was a result of the gospel, the good news ministry of Jesus Christ. Look with me in verse 19 in our text. Keeping the faith and a good conscience. Now the word faith here refers, it could refer to a couple different things, but I think the most common thing is, number one, the the body of beliefs that we have. What is our creed? That's what's important. It's, It's not what the pastor believes. It's what the Word of God says. It's what we call the essentials of the faith. Do I know what those essentials of the faith are? Who is God, the Father, God, the Son, Holy Spirit? Is the Trinity mentioned in the Bible? Did God create the heaven and earth? Did Jesus Christ, was he born of a virgin, lived a sinless life? Did he die and raise on the third day? These are some of the essentials of the faith. These, every believer should know these. And if you stay in a church long enough, you'll know them, but it's something that in, in discipleship that we go and we begin looking at these different things because it's those things that we stand on. It's those things that will cause people to be tossed and turned. Cults will deny, again, the deity that Jesus is, the second person of the Godhead. He is God in the flesh, but fully God. Some believe Jesus only and the Father's dead and the Spirit's gone. And there are all kinds of things, but they use the name of Jesus. And they deny the essentials of the faith. So it refers to, the again, the, the body of beliefs. Not just one individual's faith, but really the truth of the Scripture. What does the Scripture say? This is what a disciple wants to know. Timothy's charge, again, included opposing those who were contending for the faith or corrupting the faith, trying to draw them away. They were coming with different doctrines. Again, he he needed to know really what true doctrine is. And every person should know what true doctrine is. Doctrine is confusing. What is doctrine? Let's just call it teaching. What does the Bible teach about Jesus Christ? What does the Bible teach about salvation? These are the things that a person should know. These are the things that that Timothy needed to teach and stand firm on. Well, there's a combination again found three times in in 1 Timothy. Let me show you. In 1 Timothy 1.5, notice, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and notice a good conscience and a sincere faith. And then in 1 Timothy 1.19, keeping the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered and shipwrecked and regard their faith. Look with me in 1 Timothy on the screen, 3.9. But holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That holding, it, it means steadfastness or, or faithfulness. It means Timothy is exhorted to be steadfast in his faith. Not being tossed and turned. It's amazing how people will be in a church teaching the word and then pretty soon they're in a church that is, is really doesn't even teach sound doctrine. But they like the worship or they like the food ministry. We're here to know about God. Come to know him and make his name known. We're here to, to be equipped and go out and share the gospel message. Not prophecy. And I'm going to end, when I end with this, I'm going to show you how prophecy can be destructive if it's not of God. And this is important to understand. But here, the word faith, it really surfaces everywhere as a, as a piece of a, a Christian armor. Let me show you what I mean. Look in 1 Thessalonians 5 8 on the screen. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, a hope of salvation. See, our, our beliefs are something that we put on, we stand firm, it, it protects us from every wind of doctrine that's coming through. If you don't know the sound, healthy word of God, then you can be tossed and turned very easily. Look at Ephesians 6.16. In addition to all, taking up, notice the shield of faith, 
in which you're able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Because he'll say, did the Bible really say that? There'll be pastors that stand up and say, well, the Bible really didn't mean that, but they don't give you any basis. It's only their opinion. They don't know the word studies. They don't know the the culture. Sometimes our words don't come through in the English from, again, the Aramaic or the Hebrew. But if you just read with a sincere, teachable heart unto the Lord, you'll have everything you need. When you choose just to stand firm in the Lord, he, he will protect you. He will keep you. See, faith here is, is a firm, again, confidence in the Lord and his word. If you were to die today, where would you go? I stood at funerals. I've seen Christians that are so sure that they know that they're going to be in heaven and it is such a blessing, such an encouragement to be around. Yes, they've lost their loved one, but they know they'll see him. But I've seen those are professing Christians, they're sobbing like it's the end of the world, they'll never see him again. And they don't even know the word of God. I ran into a sister in a, a different denomination and and I used to see her at life care when I went up and visited. And, and she said her mom passed away, or no, his mom passed away, and her father passed away all within one week. And she says, but I know I'm going to see them again. I know they're in a better place. See, there's the difference between the world. Timothy was to have this good conscience in doing his calling. That means see, he... He needed to know he's being faithful to what he was called to do. Did he hear those words, good and faithful servant, one day? A good conscience conforms to, uh, again, conduct or good conduct of the Word of God. If you have good teaching, you know what the Word is, then it will shape your conduct. You'll be convicted if you're doing something you shouldn't and you're reading the Word, you're in the Word. Now, understand that. Conviction is different than condemnation. Anyone experience condemnation? I think there's a clue, yes. And that condemnation comes from the enemy. Oh, you could never be a a good Christian. Look at you. Remember, that's from the devil. Conviction says, you know, you're wrong, and I have so much more for you. If you just let me, I'll help you. I'll put you on that right path. And what he does is when we fall down, the muddy washes us off and puts us upon the rock, Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. He forgives us when we confess our sins, and he never reminds us that we fell in the mud. I'm thankful for that. I fell in the mud a lot of times. How about you guys? But he's good. He's loving it, and he encourages us. Well, see, this conscience is kind of like a monitor. It monitors our conduct, our actions. It shows us when we're out of step. And it's really important that that we, you know, it shows us when we're out of step of the doctrine or the teaching. And it functions as this moral compass to direct us through life. That's why a person in the Lord that's in the Word continues to grow and grow and grow and grow, and some never never grow. And you can tell they're never in the Word. And it's wonderful when you're growing, and it's wonderful when you fail and fall because God strips away during those times any confidence in yourself and then picks you up tenderly and puts you back on that path that you go down that path reminded that you need Him. Well, the conscience, when it's working the way it should, again, it, it convicts you, as I mentioned, not in condemnation, but in conviction, showing you what's wrong. It, it also, it, you know, the, the faith is a shield of faith when that enemy charges with you, throws those arrows of condemnation at you. But the conscience itself can easily be violated, easily corrupted, seared, 
made insensitive. And imagine you probably had that happen at some point in your life, all of us have had, where, where you've sinned, you know you sin, but you kind of like the sin for a moment, for a season, until you suffer the consequences of that sin. See, if I want to keep a, a clear conscience, a sensitive conscience, I need to quickly confess my sin, say, God, you're right, I was wrong. I allowed myself to be in that situation. Forgive me. Because that's what and how you'll keep a clear conscience. Confessing quickly, repenting, and it gets you back on that path. Now, please understand, it's not enough just to have right doctrine. You've got to walk it out. The world is talking all the time. Oh, you Christians say it's wrong to do this and this and this and this. And then look at you. Again, remember, there are many people that call themselves Christians that are professors. They profess their Christianity. The difference between them and a true Christian is one who possesses a relationship with Jesus Christ who responds to the Word of God, responds when conviction comes and wants to follow Jesus. And when he falls short, he cries out, confesses, repents, and gets back on that path. Now, it's not enough, again, to have a correct doctrine. We need to walk it out. That, that right doctrine will lead to right li- living. Well, the Christian soldier must have right living. And it involves his faith and a good conscience. See, without this good conscience, it's, it's kind of like a, a ship this lost its rudder. It, it can't go anywhere. Maybe you've surfed before. I remember one time my, my fin had broke off and I was in a bad place. The current was strong and, and I paddled. It was hard to paddle the board. It wanted to go sideways. It, it wasn't guiding me. That's what the Christian, you just continue to, to go sideways. That's why we confess, we repent. Look with me in verse 19 again. And notice again, this is important to understand, without that good conscience, you're going to drift. And it's going to pull you maybe onto the rocks. That is a spiritual sense. In verse 19 it continues, in which some have rejected and suffered shipwrecked in regard to their faith. Now, Paul switches the language here of the spiritual metaphor again of, of the military as far as the army, and now he uses terms of, regarding to the, the navy or to a ship, and certainly Paul understood that. He, he was on many ships and been shipwrecked, and he understood a lot about ships. That's why he uses these metaphors, shipwrecked. And that's one who has a bad conscience, a seared conscience. The false prophets, the false teachers have shipwrecked themselves. That's why it's so important that you're in the Word and you know that the Word of God is being taught. Well, there's two aspects about these teachers. They sin or set both forth. First, they rejected a good, clear conscience. That meant that they sinned, they knew they were wrong, they rejected the doctrine, then they choose to do it their own way. After all, the whole world is doing it. See, this bad behavior always leads to bad doctrine. They needed to determine to return, but they refused to return. These people were falling into what we call apostate situation. Apostate is a, a person that knows it here. The doctrine is here in their mind, but it's, nothing has ever happened here. They leave what they know is truth for something that is not truth. That's apostate. They, they walk away. They never come back. They curse the truth that would set them free. They're tossed and turned of every wind of doctrine. They're following after this, and they're following after that. They're looking for a new hype or that hype. They're looking for some emotional experience as if Jesus isn't enough. Ask yourself, is Jesus enough? Is he worth waiting for? 
your actions will really show. The second thing about these false teachers, again, they destroyed their faith. They no longer believed in Jesus Christ. They, went, they turned against Jesus Christ. They began to explain Him away. Their lives were, were shattered in that spiritual sense. They were blind, but they didn't even know it. And that's what happens to false teachers they, and, and, and false prophets. They're so sure they hype themselves up. Look with me in verse 20. It lists two names, two different men. Notice what he says, whom I've handed over to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Now what they're saying here is blaspheme is they were mocking Jesus Christ. He's not the Son of God. He didn't, he didn't die for the sins of the world. He wasn't born of a virgin. Openly, publicly, these are the things in church history it tells us. This is why he, he names them. Now, please understand, we're talking about a congregation, just like this, a congregation. Timothy's in this congregation, and he has to point out the two people, I don't want to say they're on the back row, front row, side row, wherever, you understand what I'm saying, because no one's like that here. But he had to point them out in this congregation. These people here were popular. These people may have wooed the people, wooed them. Maybe given them money and, and drawn them in and told them how wonderful you are. And, you know, you've got this gift and that prophecy and all kinds of things. Oh, they're so important and they were gathering around them. They were drawing to themselves. And you find this again and again in this false prophets. I've seen it. I've experienced it around me. It's a church here in Hilo many years ago. It had 30 people. In one month, it had 100. A couple months, it had 300 and then 400. And pretty soon, the church didn't exist anymore. 2 Timothy 2.17-18 says this, and, they, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them, Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who gave... Um, who had gone astray from, notice the truth, saying the resurrection has already taken place. You missed it. And they've upset, again, the faith of some. The second is Alexander. Several men and bear the name in the Scripture, but there seems to, to be one of them. Son of Simon, the Cyrenian, who carried the cross of Jesus. And, and many people believe it's, it's not him, but they jump down and they see there's a man again, Alexandria and Coppersmith, who harmed Paul, who was a problem to the, the members in, there in Ephesus. In fact, look with me in 2 Timothy 4.14, and Alexander the Coppersmith did much harm, and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. See, Paul's talking about discipline him. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Again, there's a time that people need to be disciplined. There's a time that's individually behind closed doors. There's a time when it has to be done publicly, when it's affected the whole congregation or about to affect the whole congregation. Discipline these false teachers it was because they blasphemed God. They publicly did this in some kind of fashion. We don't know exactly. To slander even Christ in ambassadors to, to go up and say, well, you're not a man of God, you're not a pastor, you're not evangelist, and, and these men, you see the hand of God upon their lives. And they blaspheme. Notice again in 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, I've decided to deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes you discipline people, but the goal is, yeah, you, you want to live like Satan, go. Yeah, they're going to suffer consequences of being in the world, but it's so their spirit would be saved. Discipline is to bring people to their senses. Maybe you have someone in your family, maybe your child or uh, someone in your, your sister, your aunts or whatever, children, they need to be disciplined. There needs to be tough love. And you're praying that they will come to their senses. It's the same thing in the spiritual sense in the church. Sometimes you just have to step back and say, no, I can't do anything to help you. I'm not going to condone what you're doing. 
and you set them apart. And it's always a, a very hard call, but you turn them over to Satan. And Judah talks about keeping yourself in the love of God. And, and, and that's important to understand. It's like my daughter, when she was young, if she would have ran away, she didn't. But if she would have ran away and she went to Kona, she wouldn't be keeping herself in the love of God where I could bless her. So you're pushing them away from the love of God. God still loves them, but it's allowed them to suffer the consequences of their choice. Like the story of the prodigal son who would come to a census and would return. You want them to return because you love them. You know the consequences if, if they do not return. You know what hell's like. Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. I wish hell upon no one that all would come to that saving knowledge of Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus. So the person needed to be set apart. They needed to be named so people would know to step back and, and, and allow God allow him to suffer the consequences of his choice. So he come to a census. He needed to be chastened. He needed to be disciplined. In fact, there's a proverb, without pain there is no gain. And sometimes they have to go through that in order to, to be called. My own life, I was 45 years old when I got saved. If I'd only been saved when I was young, I look back now, I, I wouldn't have gone through all the things that I did. But you know what? I chose those things. And I paid for those choices. But God, still faithful, with open arms, received me. It's important to understand that these men were prophesying. We'll talk more about this as we go through uh, the weeks ahead of time. Here and there it weaves through. There was a, a book that kind of describes some of these same things that are a problem today. It was called Counterfeit Revival, written about 20 years ago, and a man named Tom Stipe uh, afforded this book, and he speaks powerfully about this phenomena, having been a leader uh, in it before the scene, before he saw where it went. Uh, he was part of Calvary Chapel. He went off when, out of Calvary Chapel, uh, broke off and became the Vineyard Movement, and they got into Barking in the Spirit, uh, the Toronto Blessing, uh, laughing in the spirit. Uh, a guy came up from um, Africa, and it was the slain in the spirit. And all these things are not biblical. And he was in this movement, and it was the movement that was just pushing it all over the country. And this is what he had to say about this movement. In fact, oh, the one that was leading the movement was being interviewed when I was still in Southern California. It was on the news one time, and, and there were all these things happening in the church, and they asked this question, and they said, well, you know, how, is this of God, or what is this? And he said, some of this is God, but a lot of this is of the devil. It's better to have something happening than nothing. I'll tell you, when God wants to move, he'll move. And I don't want the devil moving in my life or around my life and my friend's life at all. And some people are chasing after signs and wonders and they're so blind to what is demonic. They don't know. He writes, after only a couple of years, the prophets seem to be speaking to just about everyone on just about everything. Hundreds of them, members received the gift of prophecy, began... Um, Applying their trade among both leaders and parishioners. People began carrying around little notebooks filled with predictions that had been delivered to them about the prophets and the seers. And they flocked to prophecy conferences that began to spring up everywhere. The notebook crowd would rush forward in hopes of being selected to receive more prophecies to add to their prophetic diaries. Not long after the prophecy, uh, Dujor became a primary source of direction. The trail of devastated believers began to line up outside our pastoral counseling offices. Young people promised teens of success and stardom through prophecy were left picking up the pieces of shattered hopes because God had apparently gone back on his promise. Leaders were delurged 
and angry at church members who had received prophecies about great ministries that they would have and been frustrated the local church leaders who had failed to recognize and facilitate this new anointing, a steady diet of the prophetic, and some people are rapidly becoming biblically illiterate. Choosing, dial a prophet. I remember that advertising to the newspaper, by the way. Dial a prophet style. Christian living rather than studying God's word. Many were left to continually live from one prophetic fix to the next. Their hope always in danger of failing because God's voice was so specific in the pronouncement, yet so elusive as in fulfillment. Possessing a prophet's phone number was like having a storehouse of treasured guidance. Little clutched notebooks replaced the Bibles as they preferred reading the material during the church services. We were in a building once before and we had a heap of stones on the side and we had prophets come in all the time. And you know, you can kind of sense they don't have any respect for anybody. And I said, well, see that heap of stones? I said, you're more than welcome to speak to the leaders. But if the prophecy is not 100% accurate, that, that means, and the Bible says, because they're trying to be an Old Testament prophet, it means you're going to be stoned. Cuss me out and leave. Oh, cuss me out. They weren't in the Spirit, were they? The church has started with 100 or 30 and 100 and 300 and 400. Pretty much the same thing I said here happened. Eventually, something has to happen. Now, is there prophecy? Yes, there's true prophecy. It's not sensationalism. God speaks supernaturally, naturally through people. He speaks through His Word. He speaks through dreams. He speaks through visions. He's speaking more than we listen. We need to learn to listen, and we need to learn to filter it through the Word of God. Now, Timothy, I'm going to finish with this. Timothy was instructed, hey, Timothy, stay here in Ephesus. You need to remain here because they need to hear the truth. They need it. You and I need to stay in the places, the workplaces, and wherever we're at, and we need to live the truth before them. We need to speak the truth in love. Well, Timothy need to stay there because it was a hard place. Maybe you're in a hard place. I've been in a hard place. I'm always going to a place I've never been. With people, that is. We need to stand firm, steadfast in our faith. Knowing that God is in control and the outcome and he will do exactly what he wants to do. Timothy, you need to stay here because God uses unworthy people. (laughs) Anyone unworthy here? (laughs) He wants to use you. Timothy didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel worthy when I became... I'm not worthy. The worthiness is imparted by a holy God says, I want to use you. Not necessarily in some prophetic ministry. The next big thing may be just that one person next to you. Speaking a kind word to somebody of Jesus Christ before they die. Maybe at the grocery store, a lady's had a bad day, and you're just kind to her, and over a period of time you get a chance to share with her. I used to go to a certain gas station and and I always went Sunday morning. I got my coffee before coming to church. And I'd always be talking about the Bible. She says, this is my church. This is my church where she works. And I went in and saw her this week. I said, are you going to church? No. But you've got to come. You've got to be the church. Well, Timothy, you need to stay because you serve a great God. Isn't that what we do? We serve a great, great God. Timothy, you've got to stay. Because it's a battle. And because we already know we're overcomers, we don't surrender to the flesh. We don't surrender. We're steadfast in our faith. Timothy, you need to to remain 
because not everyone does. People will come and people will go. They're not steadfast in their faith. It's too hard. I'm not going to do it. When somebody knocks on the door or calls me on the phone, what do you need in church? I feel like I'm being called to paradise. I say there's one thing that we need. Mature believers. Believers that love Jesus and love His people. And whatever gift you have, at some point when God's ready, you'll be using it for the glory of God. That's the best way, isn't it? Because then it's God in His way. Well, let me encourage you to take that step. Remain faithful in, in, in your faith. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. It's the most painful thing you'll ever do. But it's the most rewarding thing you'll ever do. Standing firm in Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me, please? Father God, we thank you for today. We, we thank you for all your goodness and mercy and your patience with us. We thank you, God, as we thrust ourselves upon you. You are the one that make us faithful. And that's our desire, to be faithful to you. Because you are a great God, an awesome God, a loving God. How can we not live for you? So Lord, I pray that you would strengthen the hands of every person here. Father, that you would give them a desire to honor you and glorify you, to serve you in whatever capacity you've called them. I pray that, Lord, you'd help them remember that calling. Remember what you've shown them. Lord, may they see your glory. That's all we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.